Educated actor. I'm Matt. I'm Caroline. And I'm Natalie. And here we are again. Yes. Yeah. Still zooming. Zoom We're still quarantining. Even still though other people are not, um, we are committed to flattening the curve <laughs> because <laughs> this shit hasn't gone away yet. <laughs> people think it has, and it has not. Um, but we're here. Um, Matt, are you back home? No, I are wait, home as in like I guess your your house in SoCal versus yes, I'm back in Southern California. All oh, right, the last time we talked, I was back in Salinas. I am back in Southern California for anybody who's following me like that. And Natalie, <laughs> yeah, I'm recording for you live from Southern California. Yes, hello. Yeah, I'm still in bumfuck nowhere, Central <laughs> California, and I'm I'm chilling in Los Angeles in in the 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 apex. Is it the apex? It's the epicenter. It's the epicenter of kind of the big virus i think right now although new york's pretty bad right now i guess speaking of new york speaking of new york we have someone on from new york um we have kaden kearney who's one of our friends in cal state long beach yeah um kaden i i guess we could start how i don't know what it's like in new york right now what what's going on um, so this is going to be a surprise. <laughs> I'm not actually in New York at the moment. Oh. I'm New York adjacent. I am currently staying outside of Philly. Oh, cool. Um, because I just got out of New York at the time it got pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but New York, according to the people I've been talking to, has been rough. It's getting better, though. They're starting to open up similar to California, which is kind of scary, but... Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It is well, not the place I would want to be at the very moment. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Even just being here, I, I made a trip to NorCal and everything's just so much more open. And so it, yeah. it doesn't feel as like scary, I guess, as like, it's, you know, everybody's kind of on top of each other and then even more so, I'm sure, in New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Kato went to school with us, um, yeah. graduated, I think, with Natalie's class? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we graduated together. And uh, Kaden actually got their master's at UCI and yes. now uh, was living in New York just before the virus hit. Yes. Um, so great. Do we want to, I think Natalie's asking the first question. Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is usually how we started off. Oh, yes. Just a quick wanna... question. I wanted to ask Kaden, what are your preferred pronouns? Oh, yeah. I use they, them, theirs. Great. Awesome. Hey. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like just so that no one gets um, confused. Is that right. I don't know. It, yeah, it's like I mean, like so, like yes, yeah, so like today's episode, right? Is like what is the theme? What 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 are we talking about today? <clears throat> I guess it's our Pride Month episode. Um, we planned this ahead quite um far, like way before I think even coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to make sure that it was a it was. I guess less of a conversation and more of a sit down and listen um, just to some friends about what it's like being an actor and being a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, we were going to have others on and then um, stuff with the Black Lives Matter movement kind of happened and it felt like 
this was going to be appropriate while also talking about Black Lives Matter at the end of this episode. Yeah. Okay, Kanan. So usually when we have guests, um, we start off with this question, which is how and why did you decide to become an actor? Yes, that question. It's like accidental, isn't it? I feel like my path was accidental. It just, I stumbled into it from a young age and then just kind of kept doing it. And I think when I got to college, I tried really hard to not know, to be hashtag serious, but um, soon learned that I was serious about acting and serious about theater and storytelling and all that good stuff. So I just kind of kept going. I I don't remember a day when I was like, I'm be an actor. I think it was a soft, a soft molding. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anyone in your family that are actors or like, how did your family feel about it when you decided that this was the career you wanted to pursue? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have any fa- uh, family members who are actors. My parents are both elementary school teachers. Um, and I was really lucky to have parents that uh, love the arts. And, you know, my dad's a musician and my my mom is like sings. And um, we had a lot of art in our house and they were huge advocates for art in schools. And uh, so being an artist was never a negative thing. It was a vulnerable thing in my family. Um, so I don't think they ever had like a problem with it or um, anything like that. I think they're probably worried about, you know, me making money, but <laughs> <laughs> As who isn't are. these days? Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no one safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. My experience with Caden is, is like, I feel like I've always been like a, like a, a an observer of you and your talent and just how like you've, you know, evolved as an artist. So I'm like, I've always like, how would I say it? Like, and when I, when your name came to mind, I was like, I'm like, oh yeah, Caden's like a very unique individual who has such big heart. And so <laughs> I've always like thought of that. Again. I've never told you that before. Like I said, we've just saying before this conversation. So <laughs> yeah. Like we haven't, like, I have not talked to Caden since I don't even know when like actually spoke, but I've been watching Caden online and stuff but this is the first time so I'm glad we're doing this um but so it's like to kind of go off or to um expand more on like why you wanted to be an actor um like do you mind sharing with us like what your career in acting was like from like start to finish like what was that journey like from you from when you started acting to like now do you have any favorite moments and you know kind of take us through a little a little bit of the Caden life. Well, journey my career. Oh, well, it's been um, a very, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I definitely consider myself. What's the resume, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me pull it up. Uh, I definitely consider myself at the beginning, very, very beginning of my career, um, hopefully. But um, in the sense of I still consider myself um, kind of green to a lot of professional, um, like, like professional TM um, theater. Uh, but um I so I've been in school for most of everything that's the thing as I grad I finished school not even a year well a year ago I guess now um so I went straight from undergrad at CSULB um straight into grad school which was 
you know, the grass is always greener. I think, like, yeah, I'm glad I have my master's and that's, I didn't have a lot of professional experience in between getting my undergrad degree and my master's degree. Um, so there, so, so that, that part of my career has just kind of just began, um, or begun. And, um, but I have a, have had a lot of formative experiences in educational theater. Um, and I think that a lot of them happened at CZULB. I think that there was a unique um, pool of actors and artists that were there um, at the time I was there, including all of you. And I think we, there was a lot of freedom, I think, that I, that I, um, that I latched onto, um, especially with our, we had a, you know, theater threshold, which is a student run theater company. And, and that gave us some sort of agency on the kind of stories we wanted to tell and be a part of. Um, sorry, I'm not answering this question very well. <laughs> I was in, I was in a play, uh, I was in a, a show with Alexander Billing, Sheehy and me. And I think that was, special um because it kind of it kind of was the first time I got close to feeling like I was stepping into the center of myself in a character that I hadn't before I you know I'd played a lot of like femme presenting characters because that's the way I looked on the outside and that's how this industry works and that was the first time I kind of was allowed to be a little bit more androgynous and um have that just be and it's not like a plot point it's just like the way the character is and um that was really special for me and of course you know being on the show with Alex and you know watching her tell her story and her truth was really powerful as well um yeah and now I'm here okay so I moved to New York after I graduated I, um, we did showcase in LA and New York and at my at the New York showcase, um, at the time I met with, this is, I met with a few different agencies as, um, as, which was my old name and I was using she, her pronouns and I had long hair. <laughs> so I met with them like that. And then I came back to California I chopped my hair off and I did Chautauqua Theater Company in New York, did a summer season, really felt like I was vibing with myself in a new way. I was like just feeling really happy. And when I moved to New York, I called the agency that I'm working with now up and said, hey, um, I look very different now. Um, do you still wanna work with me? <laughs> and they were like, sure whatever come you know come down and let's meet and let's talk and they didn't care they were like that's fine and um I asked if they had any non-binary or trans and they said no and I was like okay we're gonna figure this out together because this is new and especially for like non-binary I think like casting breakdowns don't even have non-binary as an option like if you want to put trans at, in your casting breakdown, the options are trans woman or trans man. So you get into this problem when you're trying to like both 
put out a call for non-binary people or you're trying to search calls for non-binary. Um, I am completely just railroading off of these comments, but um, now it's it's perfect. It's, okay, it goes into question three. So this is, I mean, this is great. So so, yeah. and you're kind of describing, you know, the transition from from a cisgender actor to a trans non-binary actor. Yeah, yeah. And I told my agents early on that I was thinking of changing my name, and they they just basically told me from like a business perspective, you might want to do that sooner than later, you know as you start meeting with casting directors and such. And so I think, I think that definitely influenced my decision to change my name quicker than maybe I would have if I wasn't in the industry where my name is attached to my look and all of that jazz. Um, but I changed my name pretty much like a few months into living in New York and started going out on calls as Caden and it feels good still feels good it's, it's it was definitely a transition period like totally weird to like hear people call you by a different name and hear your parents call you by a different name it was like it's a whole journey but um every day it feels more and more natural and feels good uh but yeah go ahead and ask me the other question because I think what I'm yeah I imagine That's what I'm going to say is yeah. Can I just say I'm so happy for you when I saw, you. you know, the Instagram post. I was just like, wow, like, I'm really, I'm very, you know, I'm happy for you. Like, yeah, it, thank you so much. It makes, you know, it feels like you, you know, no matter what it is you, but you know, like it feels yeah. like you're more you than you have been. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly how, how it is. I think that it wasn't that I wasn't myself. I just wasn't standing in the center of who I was, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I guess the next question, which is how is your career different, um, before coming out as trans non-binary to now? Yeah. Um, well, what I'm being sent out on is very different. Um, I, you know, before I, again, I would just be sent out on much more like the, the cis young teenage girl was really like kind of where I would be shuffled into. And what, actually I have a good story about this. So one of, one of the, my hair was the biggest, believe it or not, like my hair, hair is so <laughs> symbolic in so many ways for so many people. And for me, it was like, it was the biggest part of my transition so far mm -hmm. was just cutting my hair off. And everyone, around me was like just do it like whatever hair grows back it's not permanent you can do whatever you want and I was like no it's a huge deal and I think it was because I knew that once I did it I would be so happy <laughs> that like it would mean I'd have to face like the truth of everything yeah um but for so long I just used this our career as an excuse not to do it because you know it was going to affect a lot of the roles I played if I chopped my hair off so I was, I went out for a national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar and in the audition, you know, we, we, were, we were asked to prepare a song and I go in and have the song prepped and I did my work and I did my source work and I, you know, did my character work and I go in and I have a, a choice and I get in the room and the casting director goes, so I don't want to see a character today. I don't want to see any, any character in any play. I just want to see you. 
and who you are and you sing this song from your heart. And I'm standing there with a full face of makeup, my hair done, I'm wearing a floor length skirt. This was not that long ago. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it just, it just clicked. And I think that was the last straw was that this industry is moving so heavily in this direction of like, you know, um, the authenticity of the actor is important to like the character they're playing. And in so many ways, that is a hundred percent the way we need to go. Um, and in this particular case, it was frustrating because I was like, I but I'm not what you see and and so it became clear to me that I couldn't separate my identity from my work it just wasn't going to be possible and ultimately like not sustainable or healthy for me um yeah and so that was kind of the shift and I decided to cut my hair after that and now the roles that I go in for are you know more masculine either more masculine presenting cis female roles definitely more queer roles because again I don't pass as straight anymore which is another interesting experience in life <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then um, some non-binary roles which is really really exciting so yeah that's I would say the industry is like tiptoeing and like you know splashing and splooshing through this like water like no one really knows what they're doing mm -hmm. casting directors are not really sure what's happening i think it's new territory new territory for everyone in terms of like saying this is a thing that we're going to identify and like lift up and like actually acknowledge so <clears throat> i think it's interesting how do you uh how i guess what is it like being straight passing as an actor and then also like not being straight passing like yeah. on the other side of it like wait I don't know you know it's I mean I think that I think it's gonna take like a unique team of people to like cast me as an ingenue the quote ingenue mm. um that we know that we know um <laughs> for example and I don't you know as an actor I'm not sure because again like I started my professional life however you want to call that like pretty much after I had decided to cut my hair mm -hmm. so and present more masculine so I think that it's hard for me to like compare the two professionally in life it's very interesting like I I definitely don't I think I pass as as cis you know I think I have um definitely privileged passing as cis um, in many circumstances, but I definitely don't pass as straight anymore. And it's interesting to go through life for the first time like that, mm. you know? And, and there are, there are certain circumstances where I don't pass as cis. And I have had, I had my first bathroom experience with a, let's see, what are the older white women's names? Susan. Karen. Oh, <laughs> Karen and I Susan. I heard that like, it was like, <laughs> it was like Becky's Margaret. like the young one. Oh, Becky is Karen the young is like <laughs> the middle aged ones, and then Susan's are like the older, like fifty five plus. True. Yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, I did have my first like bathroom experience where like I was asked if I was in the right bathroom, and I was like, "Yeah, um, <laughs> what's happening?" Um, so it's just been a different experience walking through the world. Um. I think in 
in the audition circuit before I come into the room they know what they're they are expecting what they get does that make sense yeah 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 I guess before it's uh, before this kind of new wave of like diversity and and trying to get different people in the room what you see is what you get versus like you know especially I mean you know with with sexualities and also with races because you know you're seeing a lot more like mixed people too and so it's like oh like what are you um how Mm -hmm. like do you look more white do you look more asian do you look more whatever Mm mm-hmm Right. It's not binary. <laughs> it's not binary. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of in-between experiences that are all valid and make it hard for people to like Box have an objective in. list of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Or put you in a box, you know. It's not really yeah. about that anymore. Yeah. Well, um, since you kind of you kind of started gearing also to this next question. Yeah. Um uh since you've transitioned and have been doing work professionally um as a non-binary actor have you experienced any sort of like discrimination or has there been anything that made you feel uncomfortable if you're if you're comfortable with sharing that but then also has there been any things that have really excited you about this new journey that you're on yeah um i'm happy to answer that i so far i haven't experienced any like overt discrimination which is good because that's messed up (laughs) um and and the people who i've worked with so far have all like been very caring and at least willing to mess up and try again um I think that I think one of the things that I um, get nervous about or something that gives me anxiety is when I'm in a room of collaborators and we all are introducing ourselves for the first time and no one no one knows each other yet you know it's a new project and you're like it's the first day of school and you're nervous and everyone's like okay we're gonna go around and say our names and our pronouns and I just know I'm going to be the only one with they, them pronouns, you know? Yeah, and there's yeah. this moment when, like, you know, everyone's like, I'm Paul, and I use he, him. I'm Susan, and I use she, her. And then it gets to, to me, and it's like, I use they, them. And then there's this, like, there's this, like, hum of, like, mm. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> really this, like, this, like, a hum in the room of, like, yeah, we see you, we, we acknowledge you. <laughs> and it's all like totally well-intentioned, right? But yeah. in my like anxiety-ridden, like, you know, social anxiety self, I'm like, oh my God, like everyone's looking at me and, and I'm like a thing now. Um, oh. So I think, I mean, I, the solution to that is obviously just having more non-binary people in the room and not it not feeling so so singled out in that way and i don't yeah. think the solution is not using like introducing pronouns i think that's 100 percent important mm-hmm. um but that's it i mean that's only times when i just feel like oh i'm the only one or um yeah yeah mm-hmm. that feeling which is just never like a nice feeling <clears throat> yeah well it's funny that you say that it's like like we're getting past the uncomfortable part of like this new transition of like 
you know, there's, and it's not even new, right? There's, there's been people like this uh, as long as history has been history. Um, But it's this new like acknowledgement. So everybody's a little bit uncomfortable. And so they're like, "Mm, yes. Like, yeah. Clocking that in my head. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we see it in in all ends of like allyship, like that first level of allyship where you're like, I am aware of my problems. Like I am aware (laughs) that I have issues. (laughs) And it's just like, whoa, it's intense energy, you know, it's intense energy, but it's all good. It's like in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so has there been any, um, any great joys for you now that you've started this journey? Yeah. I mean, I get to live my dream. Well, prior to the coronavirus, I got to live my dream and, you know, be a working actor in New York City. Like, that's been my dream since I was so young. And I'm getting to do it as myself. And I'm still, you know, I haven't booked any big things yet, whatever. But I'm auditioning for big things. I'm in the room. And that's so exciting, you know. And, um you know, getting that one callback or something for a project that's really big. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, it's validating. We go through a lot of no's, as we all know. And, you know, getting a callback, I just choose to make that like a huge success, like it should be, um, as, a, as opposed to being like, oh, I was just that much closer to not getting it, you know, trying to keep it, keep it positive. But mm-hmm. um, in all of those rooms, you know, I've been a non-binary actor auditioning for a show and um, that's exciting. It's exciting to know that I'm at least getting in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of celebration in that. Are you wanting to lean more towards theater or are you keeping yourself open to any project? I am keeping myself open to any project. <laughs> I would like, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think theater is my love and my dream, which is ultimately probably why I moved to New York over LA. Not that LA doesn't have great theater or New York doesn't have great television, but, um, you know, they're just known for the way. Yeah. The cliche of both. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you say that too. Cause I mean, like you said, we just as I feel like just anybody who just doesn't have that representation in the business and anything we do, you know? So I think, that the fact that you are open to doing it all is perfect because like we said we need just more people we need those stories to be told and like so people won't have that mm, moment you know because like it'll just be like it is what it is like we are here to tell a story you know right right I encourage anybody who's listening to you know like whatever if you feel like they're left out or whatever not really getting that representation like don't be afraid to like go out there and do it so I'm really glad that you're doing it you know yeah um with that, um, so yes, you live in New York, um, but and you have done work in Los Angeles. Um, do you, is there anything? Um, are there any like differences that you? Well, I mean, obviously, there's like differences from like the two. Um, but is there anything yeah. that you prefer more than the other? I mean, I would assume it's New York because it's more theater driven, or you know, and that's where you live. Um, right. or, you know I don't know like what describe what the west coast and the east coast are like for you yeah I think that there's a lot of um I always say when I moved to New York and I dealt with 
my first New York winter, which was like extremely mild, by the way. It was not really winter at all, which is concerning. That's funny. But um, I was like, I wish I could take New York's community of theater and like the closeness, both geographically and like sort of the tightness that the theater community has in New York and like just put it in LA because I much prefer the weather. <laughs> um, but I think someone said to me once a long time ago in a workshop I took that in New York, one of the differences between New York and LA is in New York, you walk down the street and you feel like an actor, like you feel like an artist because like you're walking past, you know, the, the theaters and you're walking past the, you know, the, uh, Pearl Studios where you audition and like everything is like right there and you just feel like ah and then in LA you know it's not like that everything is spread out and there's highways and freeways and yeah and all the theaters much. are like hidden too like they're just like little rooms and random places yeah they're tucked away and so the feeling is different I think that I really don't think one is like better than the other at all I think that they're just very very different and I I just think I've always craved the the New York feeling of like walking down the street and and um also just being geographically closer to everyone who's who's in the theater scene you know you're a train right away from everyone but the thing is too it's an hour train ride, you know what I mean? And in, in, in LA, it's the same thing in, in a car, but it's just different. I can't, I can't really, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It feels, I mean, I've been to New York a hand, like twice, um, but like, I don't know, there's something about LA, it feels very competitive, like, cause there's not like a whole bunch of theater necessarily. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot of small theaters and there's a lot of small theater troops and companies. And then, like, whatever actor is trying to get involved, it's kind of, like, you're either getting involved with, like, CTG, like, level stuff, or you're kind of, like, flailing around in the experimental kind of deal that's kind of going on, or you're, like, putting on a fringe show. So it's kind of, like, those are very few and far between opportunities. Right. Um, And you can find them in other places, like Long Beach. And that's the thing, is that LA's just big, right? So it's not just, like, LA, like, downtown. It's, it's like, Long Beach. It's, like... Pomona, like Pasadena, like all these places um, versus New York feels a little bit more centralized, I guess. Yeah. And the other frustrating thing is that there's this kind of antiquated idea that the best actors are in, the best theater actors are in New York City and the best film actors are in LA. And so an example of this was I was in, back in Irvine doing a show with, for my movement teachers theater company we were doing an adaptation of frankenstein and i got an audition for the old globe Mm. which is in southern california where i was physically but they were auditioning out of new york city and i had to film a self-tape because i wasn't in the city to do the audition and it just felt so weird um and i'm not i'm not like calling out the old globe that's not what I want to do here but like (laughs) (laughs) please cast me um but (laughs) I but it's just you know there's they you know a lot of theater companies from around the the country including LA go to New York to cast a a lot of their more high like you know 
Lord, Lord A. Trained theater. Yeah, yeah. Quote, right? And that's kind of frustrating too, I imagine, for a lot of LA-based actors who are like, "Yeah, I'm here." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, like especially. I mean, we. I mean, we all came from LA, and or not came from LA. We went to an LA school to get our BA and or like MFA. Right. Like we're like we're here. But right. at the same time, there's so I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of folks who come to LA who, you know, are talented in their own right and may not go to school. And I feel like there's kind of like a competition there sometimes, like where it's like, oh, like either you're like an, like a trained actor or you're kind of just like really talented and like like yeah, making it through. It. And, <laughs> yeah. and and then there's also just like the pretty aspect of it. Like there's a lot of LA people just really, really pretty and yeah. really difficult. <laughs> At least, yeah. you know, and like, that's fine, but it's also, it can be frustrating. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I feel like the thing that I've heard and I, I've still, I've never been to New York, even though I have family there. Um, what I've been told from like a couple of different people is the thing with like, that you get at least the sense of like the LA acting scene is that sometimes when you encounter another actor it's sometimes the energy of like one is like oh are you a threat to me in a way or like what can you do for me yeah they'll they'll like you know uh try to be your buddy but it's really like how can I use you to progress myself Mm -hmm. where from what I understand from New York it's like oh hey you and I are the same we're both in like the trenches like let's help each other out yeah I I do Again, like, I haven't had the experience of, like, auditioning in L.A. full-time, right? Because I've been in school, but I really do feel like the sense is in New York that everyone knows each other and everyone cares about each other on some level and knows that, you know, actors... It's so funny to me because actors can only help other actors out so much. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not until we become directors or producers or casting directors when we really have any power to say anything yeah and I, <laughs> it's, I, like, <laughs> it's like it's no, like so yeah like that vibe over there right so it's uh, yeah I, I totally make sense I could just feel it you know like so yeah. it is like more communal than out there right just like because you, it's a smaller circle in some kind of way but it's just like everybody knows everybody and feels supportive because I remember just being in the room and auditioning here I've never auditioned in New York but when I have yeah. auditioned here in like LA I it's it's so totally feels like that there's just that energy you know what I mean like it's like you can feel like it feels more tense and just being in like LA auditioning there or just being a tourist in LA I guess and just being a tourist in New York I get what you're saying you know like when you're like oh yeah it's you can it's like be it feels like you're an actor you know because you're right in there like I mean I always say when I pass by the 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 what's it called guys <laughs> the freaking thing that i love of oh, oh my god the outline of the city. oh the, the hollywood bridge no hollywood sign <laughs> it's like it's so bad i have a you know the oh my god i'm i've lost it I've where is so, it it's just literally what you call like the outline of like any city like anything oh, oh the, the skyline the fucking skyline oh my god yeah. <laughs> so th- th- that's like i have a thing for skylines and like when i see the skyline of la like you just feel this thing of like oh my god like you know i'm inspired and everything but yeah. then it's so far but i can get it why because you're in it like when i have walked the streets of new york 
there's that shift of like possibility more comfortable possibility feels like anything's possible in LA it feels like you gotta like fight to get there kind of thing so it's it's very interesting I'm glad you brought that up Natalie because I was like that makes total sense it makes total sense so yeah I feel like you do have that really great vibe too and I totally agree like and people who are in film if you can listen here I say if you can bring that theater like vibe and that community that we all have to just be there for each other and do the work and you know be there for just like the whole project and not do it for like oh fame and blah 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 like the experience in film would be just so much better I think mm-hmm. you know like yeah. people actually like caring for each other <laughs> like like what they're doing instead of like um I'm not gonna do another take because like blah, blah. you know what I mean like yeah I don't know yeah. so I'm glad you pointed that out too. well I think what's interesting is because like for me I've only I mean obviously coronavirus hit around the time that I had just graduated um but like uh, I've been, I mean, my experience with going out to LA theaters, mostly just seeing it, mostly talking to other folks about it. I was going to do a fringe show this summer and then coronavirus hit. And I was like, this is probably not a great idea, but it's like, it, it made me feel glad to have as many friends as I did at Cal State Long Beach. Cause those are the people that I call. Like I don't necessarily meet somebody in LA and then like they start talking about their show and I start talking about, like it feels a little bit more competitive. Like when we're talking about it versus mm-hmm. like if I just, you know, call up like Natalie, if I call up like any of my friends that I'm like, hey, do you want to collaborate? Like I have this idea and like, I really want to mm-hmm. put it in a show and like, how are we going to fundraise? Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. Like that feels, it feels weird to go into it because it feels like people are at different levels in their careers. And so when you meet somebody, it's it, you just got to be like, hey, like here's, my life to you so that you can think that I am a person in this world um, mm. that deserves time and energy. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't know. It's very different. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, the next question is where do you see your life and career in five years or where would you want to be in five years? Yeah. I hoping Rona's I've been over. Thinking, I know. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because this is the hustle time and we're all in a lockdown. So which is necessary. Uh but it's hard especially I think for young people who these years are valuable years to, you know, have 10 roommates and <laughs> you know do the thing um so I imagine that that will be postponed a little bit you know I think I think it's fair to say that we all kind of lost time um that's just the way it is no one's getting ahead right now you know no one's like doing a bunch of things but um no one is you know we're not moving forward as an industry right now we're kind of on pause and so I mean, in five years, I really hope to be working consistently. I mean, that's really, really, really what I want for myself. I don't, um, I've been, you know, obviously these last few months have offered time and space for a lot of reflection in a lot of different areas. And one of those for me is really narrowing down like what parts of my life are performative and for other people to see and what parts are really for me and for what I want and for what I care about and 
Um, I think as an actor, it's really easy to get trapped into the version of success that society puts on you, that your parents put on you, that whatever, whoever in your life puts on you. Um, and I think there's a huge part of me that would be lying if I said that I didn't want to be on a Broadway show so that my mom got to have the experience of watching me in a Broadway show, you know? How much honor would that bring to my family? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it really comes down to that sometimes. And and then thinking, okay, but but what do I really want, you know? Mm. And I think, you know, it's safe to say I would still love to be on a Broadway show. But... <laughs> But, you know, maybe I don't want to be a film star. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's like, j you know, just just kind of reevaluating the assumptions I had about what I want my career to look like. One of the things I did at UCI was, as a grad student, we taught beginning acting classes. And that was so amazing. I love teaching. It brings me so much joy. And... Um, that's something I really, really want to do in my life. And I, you know, before I like do it full time, I would want to have more perspective and, you know, just have more wisdom in general to, to pass on. But, um, yeah. but I want that to be a part of my career too, as well. So I think things are like changing and shifting and, you know, then we have this virus and who knows who knows how long that's going to affect things. Right. Yeah. Or what theater is going to look like, you know, like I think yeah. it's going to be in a more, I mean, we we're talking about this with Hugh and Savvy actually in our last episode. Yeah. Maybe used in a more like, like sensory rehabilitation kind of thing where like we can feel a little bit more like, I don't know, theater might try to make others feel more comfortable to be in spaces again or to even just talk about what happened during the coronavirus. I mean, there's a lot that's happened in just three months. Yeah. Four months. I don't know how long we've been here. I have no clue. But... <laughs> yeah. What no. day is it? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is time? Okay. Um, but um, I have a just a quick question because I, I was just thinking about this when we were yeah. talking about this because I feel, I don't know, like I feel sometimes as like, like going into school, like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to act. And then yeah. also like be a, a representation for somebody else who might want to act and looks like me. Is that, yeah. do you feel like similar? Like it's like, cause like, I feel like most of the time it's like, I don't know what I want to do. I want to just act and I want to, you know, I want to be that for somebody. Yeah. The being that for someone is always a important thing. Uh, were you all there when we went to Ashland, Oregon? To OSF? Yes. Okay. We you, you we oh, no. I've only out. heard good things. <laughs> what a time. It still makes me like, I, like, I just immediately get like butterfly feelings. Yeah. And yeah. just, it's like sparks yeah. come up OSF again every time I think about it. A special place. And mm -hmm. the, the 12th night production that we saw, mm -hmm. um, I cried mm -hmm. after that show. I like, really uncontrollably could not stop crying in the theater. Like, everyone had left and I was sobbing and it's the first time I ever saw myself on stage you know in the moment oh God, so, so just for context uh the actress playing uh Viola also played Sebastian so they said it in like the 1920s that's cool like a film studio Illyria was like a film studio and at the end when the twins meet you know it became one actor on stage so she embodied male and female 
and it was just so powerful for me um and like very formative even though it took a while for that to kind of sink in <laughs> but um so yeah the idea that I can you know do that for someone else is really powerful I think mm. yeah so um uh, what it, what advice then would you give to any LGBTQ like plus people that are wanting to become actors, like yeah. based off of your experience or things that you wish you had known before you decided to transition, like or go through this process? Like, what yeah. would you, what would you want to share with them? I think just the first thing is know that your journey is unique and your and like to own your own journey and know that it's not it doesn't have to look like every other person in the community's journey it doesn't have to look the commercial version of what we want a trans person to look like and to know that you know it'll feel right when it feels right and it's okay to take time um and then the second thing would be to just use the beautiful technology we have to connect with other trans people in the in the industry. I mean, I think that I have I have several people in my life who I've never met in person yet who are non-binary actors and theater makers in New York. And we have connected through mutual friends um or through, you know, Facebook groups or just you know, Instagram post here or whatever. And there's nothing like feeling you're not alone and being able to reach out to someone who's just like a few steps ahead of you in the journey, you know? So that's important, I think. What did, uh, like, what other advice would you give to say allies? Or I would, I would even say, especially like since we've touched upon it too, like what would you want casting directors or like content creators to know? Like with this new changing climate, what advice are things that you would like them to be like, mm, maybe be a little bit more aware of? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things I've seen that's really cool that some casting directors have done, which is positive is, you know, you sign when you sign in for your audition, when you arrive, they'll have like a spot for pronouns. And I think that's really important because, you know, as you address the people you're working with, it's important to not misgender them. Um, and I think just being clear about whether or not, like what your desire to have a trans person in this story is. If it is, we are just opening our call to kind of this gender blind casting and we're allowing anyone to come in and play whatever or is it we specifically want a trans person to play this role if so why um you know obviously like i don't have i haven't had these conversations with casting directors and i want to assume the best i want to assume that you know and it feels to me it feels like they are they care about doing it right. Um, but also we need to acknowledge that we see a lot of casting calls that say trans and non-binary people are encouraged to audition and then the cast comes out and it's all cis people. So that is still a, a pattern 
it's just a pattern um, that we see. And so I think I would just love to see more clarity before, before you start the casting process, be like, what would it mean if we cast a trans person in this role? Because it always means something, right? This, you know, again, we can go back to the problems with colorblind casting. Like it means something when someone is in a role, period. Um, it's, it's never just accidental. Um, and it's important that we continue to cast classical whatever, you know, in different ways. But we have to acknowledge what comes along with that, right? And the, the story that it tells is important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's, I mean, that's becoming, I think, a bigger and bigger issue. Not just like, you know, like colorblind or genderblind casting, but just like, if you're doing it, why? Yeah. And that's really, it's becoming more and more important. You know, it's not just trying to fill a diversity quota. It's right. how are you using these people on stage? Because, I mean, relationship on stage is super important, you know? Right. Yeah. I always think of, I just look forward to the day where it's not a thing that needs to be pointed out or addressed in the story. Like, whatever this person's, sexual orientation, gender is, color, like, I think that's the thing where, which obviously it's, uh, speaking of the times that we're going in, it's just, like, with representation of, like, say, also POC people, it's, like, we want to be in the room, we want to be included, we want our stories being told more, but it also would be nice to eventually get to the point where it's, like, these people in that are playing these roles are like, yes, that actor just so happens to be non-binary or this actor just so happens to be black, but that's not the point. It's like, we don't need to address that and that be a plot point that it's like, oh, by the way, this guy's black. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. I just, I, I look forward and I, to like when it can just be like, it just is what it is. Right. And I think the shift has to happen in who's telling these stories and putting, you know, the proper people behind telling those stories because what ends up happening inevitably is that we have when we have a cis person telling a trans story the story's going to revolve around a cis point of view when we have a white person telling a story that involves poc folks it's going to be around the white person's point of view for a white audience for a cis audience whatever you mean you know we look at like you know the mo like green book right yeah. And we have a situation where it's, it's, it's put on a palette for a white audience. Mm -hmm. And yet you can count, you know, you can say, oh, it's, it's a historical whatever, which of course we know it anyway. It's a whole nother conversation. But, <laughs> but it's, if, if it's revolving around the, oh, the oppressor's <laughs> point of view, then we're inevitably going to get this sort of like cycle of um you know white savior savior stories and um like trauma porn and like all of this stuff where we're like revolving around like the pain of being yeah go ahead please speak I, yes no I, I thought it was I agree and I guess to add to it it's it's also kind of surfaced right like one of my favorite things about watching 
and I think I noticed this particularly in that um, in that movie with Ali Wong and Randall Park. What does it always be my maybe or something uh-huh. like that? Yeah. But yeah. like you get these nuanced like like looks of what it means to be Asian, and it, nobody has to say anything. It's just a part of this. Like one of the the great ones is like. Um, in that movie in particular, they're, the two kids are running around outside and then they come, before they come inside, they take off their shoes and then they run through the house. And I was like, that's great. Cause nobody had to say anything. They didn't have to be like, oh, like I'm Asian. I take my shoes off before I go inside. Like it just is. <laughs> it was even the food choice that they had. I think the food like, choices. For like, you know what I mean? It's just more like, cause I mean, that's a cultural thing for us. And like, I was totally related, but me as an Asian person watching that, I was like, yeah totally normal you know and I was like yeah they even have to say it I go because you you just do it you just do yeah and it's a part of like people's lives without it being like wow like look at this thing that Asians do like that's so different like that's whole like you know point that out you know because it's exactly what it is it's like when we get to that point where you can just see it and just be like okay it was is being presented to me is what it is cool so now like what's the story like what is what is it that you're trying to tell us in this thing I'm right not your point but i mean you know anywho so i mean yeah like is there i mean it's i'm very curious to know we are all in lockdown you know i mean like you said we're all on pause yeah. um but is there anything that you were working on you know prior to covid or is there even anything like that you're working on now in in this this lockdown or anything. Well, if it's, even if it's like writing or, or yeah writing something or just you know yeah like what is what are you doing now like what is um your career like yeah or what would you be doing when we get out of this thing yeah um well right before the quarantine kind of became uh real real for real uh i cl- was in a off off-broadway show in new york Um, with a new theater company called Normal Avenue and we did a new a new play which was awesome and that was really fun to collaborate for the first time with people who I hadn't met before and make new you know roots in New York Um, that closed like March 1st or something so it was like right before everything started like yeah it was like 10 days shut down on like the 15th or something yeah um uh, but, but, but I wasn't working on it. I didn't have any projects happening after that. So, mm-hmm. so nothing got canceled on me. Um, I am, you know, I prior, so the summer before I moved to the city, I developed a solo show um, highlighting specifically like my gender identity against this idea of womanhood and like my uh my deep deep connection to what that is and what that means in this world um and i have been meaning to return to it and kind of write more uh but to be completely honest i haven't i've just been you know i've been going through a lot of like a lot of reflection and i think it's all important and I just haven't quite gotten into productive mode yet yeah yeah same I think I'm in the same boat too yeah because we're trying to navigate this 
and seeing like what is it you know I, I've found a you know you sometimes you get a burst of of creative energy but then sometimes you don't and then you know life right. happens and then there's this whole nother layer of things that are happening to us so yeah yeah mm-hmm. hmm. which I guess speaking of speaking, and layers right and yeah speaking of layers there's some um, <laughs> I, I, yeah I feel like definitely just with with um it's not new this new this continued movement against violence of black bodies like it's definitely i i don't know what it was i mean i kind of know what it was but i I definitely felt like for when quarantine started i felt all right there was good days and there was bad days and then once this started it just felt like i'd have like a week or two of just like i don't want to look at anything yeah and then like a week of like messaging furiously and and signing petitions and and fighting people on Facebook um, that don't deserve my time. But it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. The amount of the lack of empathy in the world is sometimes just jarring, just ridiculously jarring, but unsurprising, at least for me. Yeah. I hear that. I, I, um, you know, I, I am committed to continuing my work as an anti-racist person and I have a long way to go. You know, I have a lot of work to do as a white person Mm -hmm. and, and, um, it's, it's, it's critical, you know, it's just so critical and it, it intersects directly with pride month. It intersects directly with our theater community. I mean, there's no separation. It's all, it is all connected. Um, You know, and I just want to highlight that the non-binary, the transphobia, and specifically the transphobia against kind of non-binary or in-between people, 100% is rooted in white supremacy. It's 100% rooted in these colonial ideas and Mm -hmm. um, ideology that was always targeted towards POC bodies and um, it's really important that we acknowledge that and understand that you know ending white supremacy or fighting white supremacy is is my job not only as a white person but as a queer trans person Mm -hmm. you know and And our entire liberation was built on the backs of Black trans women. And yeah. we all like to forget that. Oh. You know, so I, I read a meme the other day that was like, or a post or something that was, it said, Pride wasn't canceled this year. Pride TM was canceled. But yeah. it's the most authentic it's been in decades. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we're marching in the streets because that's what Pride was in the beginning. It was a riot followed by a march for rights. Sorry, I'm digging. Um, And yeah, I just want to, yeah, I just think it's important to, to say that, that you can't separate trans rights from black rights, Mm. you know? Yeah. 
Agreed. Because the people most impacted are trans black women and we must show up for them and support them. You know, it's just, it's, it's critical and important and it's, it's messy and it's going to take, it's going to take a lot and I should stop talking now because, yeah, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's totally fine. Oh wait, it's, I can't hear you. Okay. Well, hold on. Go ahead. No worries. Um, I think it's totally, it's, it's important because that intersectionality is ridiculously important, right? Yeah. There's like, I think a lot of the times, um, you know, I did see a post once, which I was, and I do feel this way um, sometimes with um, some of my queer friends, not all of them, but a fair amount of the time where it's like the, um, the post said, your queerness doesn't erase your white privilege. Yes. And, mm. and a lot of the time it can feel like that. Um, um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's kind of like consequently what's kind of happening with these riots. Like it feels like there's these folks who may or may not be black, more likely they're probably not, um, coming out after these protests and fucking shit up because they think that's what we need. And it's like, yeah. no, because then it's put on us. Right. Um, the kind of anger and aggression that we've been kind of told to handle if that's manifested in any way that is um linked to these protests to this movement it becomes kind of invalid it becomes like a mm. you know it becomes this it, it perpetuates like the criminalized ideology of who black people are in america um or to what other non-black folks think that we are um mm. So I think, I mean, it's an important conversation, especially because like black trans women are really just like at the, really the bottom of the food chain, just like actually. And that's yeah. like also like indigenous peoples are like even lower. Yeah. Um, but I think it's what I love that's happening is that <laughs> these theater companies that have, you know, preached wokeness since the beginning of theater are now being called out on their bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's, you know, theater is, is it's Eurocentric, the, the Westernized theater, you know? And there's yeah. other different kinds of theater, but even, I mean, we've been having this conversation at Kelsey Long Beach. It's like, why do I hear Breck's name like a million times in like yeah. my four years, but I only heard about Wole Soyinka my last year. And it was in theater theory, so we didn't really, I mean, we brushed over it, you know? Like it wasn't right. a huge topic. And I love that. I think that's really cool. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of it and, and how we're going to celebrate new like contemporary artists and, and dig up, you know, different types of Eastern African Spanish theater, hopefully after this. Yeah. hundred percent. A lot needs to change and a lot of unlearning needs to happen. Oh yeah. I am so sorry. I cannot figure out the life of me how to turn my notifications off. <laughs> no worries. Oh, that's totally fine. Okay. Oh, wait, do not disturb. Wait a minute. <laughs> we'll just cut this part out. Oh, okay, we, cool. we love learning about technology. Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, my family group chat is like a whole conversation. Um, yes. Yes to all of that. And, and, and yes, white queer people and white trans people need to stop trying to relieve their white guilt and i include myself in this um with the band-aid that is queerness <laughs> mm -hmm. it's it's 
counterproductive to the movement and it's um and, and enables racism and and therefore is racist you know mm -hmm. it needs it needs to be addressed and my i you know i have a white experience and a white perspective and i also have a queer perspective and a trans perspective but it does not change the fact that i have a white perspective and a white experience and um the sooner we uh shake off the fragility from acknowledging that the better you know we can all move forward and do the work that's necessary so mm -hmm. i really and, appreciate you pointing that out because it's really important yeah yeah and it goes both ways and also in, in a similar way the black community for sure like has so much work to do with accepting queer lives like it it's unsurprising and still just like it's just baffling in a way because i'm like y'all i'm like it's not even that it's just I, I don't know i get a lot i i i comment a lot on facebook threads about um zaya wade because i think that she's dope and i think the fact that people are coming after a young girl for being who she is is gross um and it's it's frustrating because because you know i think similarly black women historically have been able to accept whatever they see for the most part like i've, I've been hearing a lot of stories from others about how black women were some of the first friends of like queer people and indigenous people who really like fight for them and then like you see like so many people in the black community are very traditional minded who are very like christian minded and it becomes like so much hate and it's 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 just awful it's sad like there can't like it feels like for these two different perspectives the intersectionality can be really difficult to like go through and it needs to i mean it needs to happen it's 2020 we're in quarantine <laughs> yeah <laughs> and hey like the sky's the limit if we all come together you know mm -hmm. yeah who knows like, what'll happen maybe we'll get that cheeto out of office like, <laughs> that would be <laughs> fucking awesome yeah oh, I, was I was muted <laughs> but yeah yes i agree yeah oh god honestly the thing, yeah the, the thing that i keep thinking of and, and i go back to when i've like been having these discussions with people is that we needed to be faced like globally with this ugliness yes. like it was the shitty pandemic but things would not be moving the way that they are now had that not been in place yes. because we're now being having to fucking sit and deal with the shit yeah it's like you can't like people are unemployed people aren't working people are stuck at home people are sick now you have to deal with all of these other things and you're realizing and seeing or at least the people that are, are able to admit and and be aware of it that it's like all of these things are connected and mm -hmm. we need to fucking deal with it yeah. yeah i agree like i feel like in a way you know like i don't think i wish nobody had to die like if Correct. you know like i don't think george floyd have like people have been knew that this was an issue well mm -hmm. before this way this for, for the last ever since the beginning of time but um 
but I think you're right in a sense. We were just talking about this when we were structuring this episode, but it's like the mortality that people are facing with the pandemic is the same mortality that I feel every time I wake up and see another black person killed. Like, mm. like it's every, and that's what, like, I, and that's the ones that I see maybe five or six times a month versus the ones that haven't been reported, the mm. ones that are covered up. Um, and so you're seeing more and more of these cases, like, like this new one with this, kid his this hispanic kid from la who's 18 and you're watching your because everyone's on their phones because there's really literally nothing else to do you're kind of like reading the information and so when people comment and they're like oh but this and it's like well didn't you read it it said this and like why are they you're, you're asking hard questions that they seriously have to consider and not just I commented this on my Facebook and now I'm going to go to work and now I'm going to do this and now I'm going to do that. It's like, they really have to think about it. Like, was this fair? Is this okay? Mm -hmm. Should we really be looking at this more closely than we have been because we're so busy in our lives that we, you know, it's, it's difficult to say what must be at the forefront of us individually, let alone as, as the communally, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's a direct correlation between capitalism and white supremacy, obviously. Yeah. And then we, right. And then we have capitalism kind of being unveiled a little bit via this pandemic. And like all of a sudden people are like, wait, oh, this whole system has been like benefiting these few people and not me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this whole system is like rigged. And yeah. then this happens again. And like you said, this time people are forced to take pause and their perspective has just been tilted a teeny bit because of the pandemic. Yeah. And it's causing a massive wake up call to people who have been privileged enough to never have to wake up to it. Yeah. Cause the capitalism is informing the people who are suffering most from the pandemic, which is people of color. And then like not even that it's like these people are still getting shot in the street and there's a fucking pandemic going on like yeah and so I mean like that's that I mean like I as like a person you know as a black Latina girl is like I that's unsurprising but to so many white folks they're like how could this happen there's so much shit going on why are the cops doing this and it's like well, you know, you have time. You can go and watch 13th on Netflix. That takes up two hours of your quarantine time. And you learn something new about the way the criminal justice system has been set up for ever since the beginning of the United States' you know, um, revolution and, and everything. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's it, it, like if there was, you know, I saw all kinds of articles once the pandemic was starting was just like, obviously this was going to happen because we don't have any policy in place to protect people. If this did happen, that's why people are reopening stuff now. Cause it's, it's really not about the, the coronavirus itself. It's about the economy and whether or not people can live for months without a job. And if people could, like they'd be fine. I'm sure loads of people would be happy to be at home with their families, not working if they felt like it was, they could do it and it was necessary for their health. Mm -hmm. But then like, then this whole pandemic gets politicized, which is stupid as fuck. <laughs> whether you're like mask or no mask is basically whether you're Democrat or Republican at this point. And then 
Yeah. The fact that wearing a mask is a public, is a, a political statement is alarming. It is deeply alarming. It is, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, God, people could be, I don't know. Yeah. I also don't I, want to make general statements, but at the same time. No, I mean, my, sur- my survival job or my, um, I used to call it my muggle job, but Harry Potter's kind of trash right now. Um, oh no! Oh wait, no, song. no, I don't. Yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, there it, is. there it is. That's gonna take some time to reprogram. Yeah, it it's sad because it's such a good word for it. But anyway, I I work at a grocery store right now, and so I've been um you know I haven't stopped working since this all has been going on, and it is interesting to see the array the you know the 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 spectrum of people reacting to this pandemic and you know obviously uh here it's a law to wear a mask inside and people just you know they don't want to um some people and it's it's interesting also to like clock the demographic of people who are like that you're like yeah y'all looking kind of the same oh yeah it's it's what was I I was just talking oh no I was listening to do you know who Ta-Nehisi Coates is sounds familiar he's a um he's a writer and he's like um I don't know what the word for him is he's kind of like a like a racism theorist like he he talks a lot about just like racism and how it works and he puts it in this beautiful way um, Between the World and Me is one of my favorite books. You should definitely read it or listen to it on audiobook because it's it yeah. it's kind of outlining Between the World and Me. It's so good. It's the like oh, no, I, you it's, froze it's, on us. Did I? I'm always freezing on people. Yeah, you froze. What happened? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, now, okay. now you're back. Okay. Well, you mostly just need my voice, so that's helpful. Um, but um he was talking about white people wanting to say the N-word. Um oh. mm-hmm. and it's I th- he believes that a lot of it is because white folks have never had to not like they've never been barred from doing things the whole white philosophy is like you can do anything you want right. if you put your mind to it or whatever right um which is like you know you could say that generally like across all cultures and you could be like i mean yeah like technically but it's it's the, there's different systems in place like there's and he was explaining like if someone came up to me on the street and called me sweetheart like it'd be weird you know like we, there's those relationships that we need to acknowledge that i think brown folks are a little bit more accustomed to we're being accustomed to say no or to hear no's about certain things right and so i feel that way about just like masks it's like mm-hmm. you're really just doing this because you don't want to but yeah. like there's cultures just everywhere where it's kind of like I'm doing this for the betterment of like everybody yeah regardless of whether or not I want to yeah and you see the results in their (laughs) cases oh yeah you're like oh look at all those people who cared about like the common good look at look at that graph go down oh yeah and we're still like in our first wave like it's I'm literally, I'm so nervous. My um, boyfriend will be coming down in a couple weeks to Long Beach, where it's also pretty bad. So I'm yeah. kind of like, yeah, I think it's just going to get worse. And I'm nervous. But Yeah, it's scary. And it's, it's, I think, you know, everyone's been kind of, when it first, when we first started quarantining, it was like, I was like, okay, we're going to take this serious. This is serious. Oh my gosh, things are, everything's closing. Everyone's losing their jobs. Oh my God, this is a thing. And then we got used to it. 
and now people are like but i did the thing i did it for two months it should be over and it's like no and you're you know? saying that with the protests like i feel like i'm seeing that now because we get like i feel like there's a lot more folks going back to their normal like instagram feed and mm-hmm. I just, I feel like it's it's the same common denominator of like sitting in that discomfort, you know? It's, people mm-hmm. don't like to. They don't like to think that, oh, if I don't like, like put on a mask that I'm hurting other people, or if I don't say this on a regular basis that I'm hurting other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the comfort, the comfort of it fading away, quote, quote. Yeah. Is so dangerous yeah sitting in the discomfort is the only thing that is going to lead to to structural change yeah you got to sit in it and it sucks there's gonna be a lot of discomfort like it's it's funny to me because it feels like there's a lot of well i was um i was in norcal for a while and there was like it was really cool because one day i woke up in my boyfriend's sister's house and there was a little like it was she lives in this really nice neighborhood and there's like these white folks in their cars and they're doing like a little drive-by with like black lives matter signs and i was like that's so cute like there's like they were doing it mostly for their kids which i thought was just equally as important i'm like you're this is great like your kids should see this like they were like as young as like two or three and probably as old as like 12 like 13 and I was like, this is really cool. And the we, like me and my boyfriend and his sister, um, and they're half Asian. And we just had a conversation. We're like, yes, this is very cute. They're not going to like it once we have to make reform and talk about all of these really uncomfortable questions and conversations that we have, you know, it's going to be very different. It's going to be, you know, it's revolutionary and it's important, but it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you think, like, I don't know, if you think you can be raised white in this country, you, if you think you can be white and raised in this country and not be racist, then you will never contribute in the way you are required to, to this movement. And, mm-hmm. and to, to, to think that you're above the socialization it's just so counterproductive, you know? We have to just say, yep, this this is what I was taught and this is what is happening. And even though I have a good heart or whatever you wanna, you know, say to, you know, you cannot let yourself off the hook. It's so easy to to have this binary of like good person, bad person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it's not like that. It's it's literally like, it's the same thing as like somebody who's going through an addiction. You mm. have to admit that there's a problem to begin with. Mm. And that's really hard. Um, and I mean, and a lot of people just can't even do that because of the fact that it's like, but, and I think it's just, it's, it's the difficult thing is people have, have the issue with like, but I've never flat out said anything yeah racist i've not you know tried to lynch anyone i've not like right attacked a gay person but then it's the the whole like your silence is your compliance to the issue and so mm-hmm. i mean even me i'm not fucking untouchable with this issue right now it's like 
there's still things that it's like I know where I've fucked up and I'm having to address those things and yeah. like figure out honestly I'm 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 still like I knew and I'm always kind of like future planning as to like where I see my career at and mm-hmm. I've always like said that it's like someday I want to have my own production company I yeah. want it to be inclusive but now it's like okay but what am I gonna do what am I doing now that's going to be the foundations of that roadmap and the thing that I want to continue to do as a human being, but as an artist, like what, what can I do to be better? Because, you know, we can talk all day about white privilege, but it's still within um, other people of color, like that whole internalized racism. And then I mean, with every, literally every culture, you can, you can look at Asian people, black people, um, Latinos, like it's, it's still a thing, even within them is that white is still always mm-hmm. the preference and passing yeah. is still a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding my path through yeah. all that shit too. So it's like, it's, you know, white privilege is a big thing, but it's not necessarily a thing that just affects white people. And it's not even just white privilege. It's it's more of like implicit bias, right? So it's yes, yes. it's about. Um, I just watched Thirteenth. I hadn't seen it. I knew most of the history that was going on in it, but it's also <laughs> it was crazy to watch because I I was like, I it was the only time I'm gonna watch it because I it, because of past experiences I've had in school where I had to access trauma and now it stays with me and now every time I see a police brutality video. I get really nervous and I, it's, it's, it's bad. It's not good. Um, and like, that's the thing, right? So we're, we're learning that our implicit bias is based on historical, um, policies and, and perpetuation of, of, of stereotypes of black folks. So it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm not saying anything racist or like I have black friends, but it's like, what do you, think about those black friends like uh, how do you see them what kind of person do you think if you see a black person on the street what's the first thing you think and then like do I do I as a person like a white person have any way to empathize with this person of color and the truth is for the most part no like and in ways we can like we can we can connect as human beings but I think a big issue, especially in the theater community, and but um, just like in communities where a lot of people feel that they're very like progressive, it's like, I, I get what you're going through. And like, it's, there's, you know, I've been oppressed as well, or, mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. I have the tools to help you, but in the way that I want to. And it's like, no, I have every right to tell you how I want to be treated, how I want to be helped. Um, which I feel like a lot of people are just running into this issue. Um, and I'll, I'll bring it up because we were just talking about this just before we got on, but y- you know, our, our school is under fire for, for the way that they've treated black folks um, it, at the school. And it's not, and I'm finding more and more, it's not anything that's, there's a lot of things that have been said directly that are super racist, but also it's things that you would just never expect, like as a white person, there's, they, you just don't think of you know, and that's not your fault, but it's also like this history has perpetuated that. And so many people think, well, 
why would I have to think about this? And it's like, well, it's something I think about every day is like a brown person. And that's where we need to start, you know, is that obviously I think about these things every day and you don't. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the problem of centering the change on whiteness or on, you know, cis people or on straight people is, is problematic in and of itself because it's not centering the voices that need to be leading the revolution. Yeah. And I'm really glad, Natalie, you brought up um, that you yourself are going on this journey as well of like undoing a lot of your socialization and internalized racism. Um, Because that's important. That's so important. And to acknowledge that, that, um, that folks who are a part of an oppressed group are not experts on their own history because you know they are not uh how do i i shouldn't say that in many cases they are but uh like they're not necessarily we are not necessarily um automatically informed of our history especially Mm -hmm. if we have been raised in america Mm-hmm. so and you know i i say that a lot going back to like what how allies can be better at least for trans and queer folks it's like i don't know everything yet and i'm still undoing a lot of internalized transphobia you know i'm still figuring it out as well and i think i mean i imagine that that's true for for lots of groups of people and acknowledging that it's labor yeah for yourself and not your job to do that labor for the people who are benefiting from your oppression yeah yeah i think it's even more so today and just to end because i did get matt i know your laptop's gonna die i just got a text um yeah but it's it's you know it's even more so today because i'm just like anybody who asks what's going on i'm just like google it dude like yeah and that's what's just so annoying and you get that it's mostly from older folks and i'm like i get it like you're older or whatever but google like easy like or like watch a movie or read a newspaper yeah (laughs) And not even just like a newspaper. Ask questions. Watch YouTube yeah. videos. Like, yeah. in terms of like, lit- yeah, just be able to be open to have a conversation. Yeah, or just like, you know. And I think it's also. I mean, there's just so many things that intersect. But it's also part of like being educated in a way that our parents weren't as much. You know, like yeah. so so much information is accessible. Um, I know I'm the first in my family to have like a BA. So it's, it's rethinking things, not as just they are, which is, which was cool when we were just surviving, but now we're like POC and we're thriving and we're asking questions and it's, and they're hard questions and you, you know, they have to happen so that the world can move forward. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I know you're. It's so you're, nice to see all of you. I know it's been too too long. It's been so long. It's so. When hard. do you come back to the to the the best coast? You know. 
the Coast. best coast. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm planning on visiting my family. I was raised in NorCal, so my NorCal. Summer wing. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, moving there next at the beginning of next year. I'm moving to NorCal. Oh my gosh! She'll be Where? one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, probably uh, Pleasant Hill or Lafayette area. Okay. I like it there. Yeah. So my family is still mostly out there and so i'm gonna go visit um and spend hopefully like a couple months out there just while i'm you know waiting for things to open up again yeah to get started i know my mom was like how long do you think you're gonna be here and i was like uh (laughs) 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 i can give you like a two-month forecast at a time like that's about all i have for real yeah yeah, well, this was great. Well, hopefully, we'll be so able to good. see you. I know, I'm, I've missed you. I know, yeah. I've missed you all too. I really like grad school sucks you up, you know. I, yeah. I, I regret like not being able to be as as active in in like Long Beach's community while I was at UCI. But yeah. it's like despite despite the flaws of our department the times that all of us because we were all there like overlapping yeah, like staggered times yeah yeah literally i'm looking at all of us and it's like we're, okay. we're like three generations of graduations yeah. right now and yeah I'm the <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good time though. it was such a special special time and there's still so many people that i met there that it's like if i see it's like it's an immediate like surrender of everything like i'm like i feel okay and i feel safe and i feel like supported completely so it's like just seeing your face now is just uh, it's still the same energy when we were around you too it's like yeah I guess like, yeah like you're a very passionate unique individual and and like i just love talking to you and just love like being around you so it's really good so thank you for being on here with us you know we missed you thank yeah. you all. and thanks for staying up on east coast yeah time. yeah so. i'm a night owl so it's fine <laughs> that's, that's helpful <laughs> but oh, my man. first two years at cal State long beach were totally the best mainly because of the people and like everything was just really fun like i don't know yeah. what it was after those two years but everyone just got way too serious all the freshmen <laughs> that came in were like i want professional headshots and i was like you're 18 like relax um but everybody there was just having fun my first two years and i was like this is yeah. great but it's nice to be with you all in a virtual room. Yeah. Yes. Together again one day. But I know. We're doing here. Yeah. Wow. Um we did well, it. we're gonna we're gonna let you go. We'll just finish up the 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 little stuff where we have to the address. Wrap-up. Yeah, the wrap up. Yeah, so I'll leave now. <laughs> <laughs> you go get some shut eye. Enjoy the night owl things that you oh, do. Bye. <laughs> we love you. We love you so much. We love you. We'll love let you, you know too. about the Thank- um the episode and everything too when it comes yeah, yeah for sure Aww. thanks for having me bye. Bye. so good to see you bye bye i have to press like three buttons to leave <laughs> what a time i know oh. that's crazy yeah. that we get i i've loved the last like two, two episodes yeah it's nice to see people i haven't seen in a long time anyway well yeah guys that was kaden so and yeah, thank you kaden while we're still on the topic of Black Lives Matter stuff, I guess. Um, um, I don't know how to introduce this. But basically, if you are pissed off 
by what's going on right now, or you don't know very much, we're going to have some link to some resources. Um, and if you have no idea what you can do right now, here's some friends who are doing stuff every day um, to combat Black Lives, <laughs> to combat police brutality against Black Lives. <laughs> Not Black Lives. Don't fight Black people. <laughs> Um, but this is stuff you could do every day right now sign petitions donate um but here's some some voices some things that i've been doing to aid in this movement is donating to individuals that need financial care and black-led organizations that are doing essential work in their communities i've been emailing people in positions of power for justice and allocation of funds i'm researching and learning from radical black activists writers and leaders I'm learning about Black liberation and how we can achieve that. As a non-Black person of color, a Latinx person, I'm asking myself how I'm invested in whiteness, how I carry anti-Blackness in the way I think, live, speak, how I have benefited from my proximity to whiteness and white supremacy, how my identity is built on anti-Blackness. Latinx communities are very anti-Black despite our own community being Black Afro-Latinx. We have to destroy white supremacy in our own families, our neighborhoods, and in our motherland countries. We have to hold each other accountable. We need to actually have uncomfortable conversations with our family and friends who aren't acting in solidarity. We need to value black lives over property. We need to learn and educate ourselves on how our movements have only been possible because of black activism. We need to be committed to black liberation, Native American sovereignty, as well as the liberation of all people of color. This is how we move forward towards a future that is for all of us. I know I have been signing petitions for, you know, days, weeks now. Um, every petition that I see, I, I read and where I can, I will donate. Um, I have subscribed to the Black Lives Matter emails and everything. Um, I have sent endless emails as well to city officials, to state officials about everything that's been going on. And again, that is another lane of activism that you can choose. And of course, there's protesting, um, which is is so important. It's so important to protest because we need our voices to be heard. And and that is an, a great way to to get your voice heard um, and also educating myself is something that I have been doing. I've been watching documentaries and uh, movies and really doing my research as to all these things that I honestly, I didn't know. Um, but the important is that I am educating myself and that I am learning about all these horrific um, events that we were not taught in school. Um, it Obviously, our, our school system has whitewashed history, and it is time to change that. Uh, we have been going through good steps, but it's not enough. We still need justice for so many other Black people that have been uh, brutally uh, uh, killed by the police. And so for me, that's why the movement is so important. Uh, have those conversations with both people that you don't agree with and people that might surprise you. Um, because you might be teaching someone and you might be having someone look at something through another point of view. Um, it is time to change. It is time for us to rally together. Um, and Black Lives Matter, point period blank. <laughs> like that's, it's, it's, 
it's absurd that it's such a controversial um, statement, but it, they do. They, Black Lives Matter, they inspire, and they are leading the way right now for change. Uh, so that's why it's so important to follow the movement. I have been supporting by listening and educating myself and being real and transparent with my past shortcomings as an ally and also being open to ways that I can make other changes. I've been having a lot of tough conversations with my family that don't fully understand and have been providing them with resources to help teach them. I truly believe the biggest evolutions begin at home and I'm doing my best to be the change that I want to see. In order to help with the Black Lives Matter movement, I helped create UTK BIPOC Theater, an organization with a collective group of Black, Indigenous, and students of alumni of color, BIPOC, of the University of Tennessee Knoxville's theater program. To ensure the safety of our Black colleagues and BIPOC theater makers from the white systemic institution, we have organized and sent letters to the theater staff, faculty, and university deans. I personally have become an Educational Allies Committee ambassador for my alma mater, and I'm in contact with nationwide theater program members who have cross-referenced their information and resources. Practical things you can do. Get involved with Broadway for Racial Justice Organization, an organization of BIPOC theater members fighting for racial justice and equity within the Broadway and theatrical community at large. This organization has a subcommittee called Educational Allies Committee for theater programs, educators, and alumni to get involved with. Get involved and sign the petition, We See You, White American Theater, located at www.wcuwat.com. Right now, joining organizations, protesting, calling local reps, voting, joining town halls, speaking up in person are all great reactions to the anti-black racism our country is suffering. But how can I also be proactive against racism? There are small, radical changes we can make in our daily lives that sometimes go forgotten. And here are just some things I didn't think about until recently that I feel might be helpful to white folks like me who have been anti-racism but maybe haven't been actively called cultivating an anti-racist lifestyle. My internet cookies are racist. As a white person, I've grown up using predominantly white brands with predominantly white models, spokespeople, owned and operated by predominantly white people, because business in America is predominantly white. Recently, I've discovered tons of local or small black-owned businesses I've been sleeping on and seen black art on Instagram that I'd probably never otherwise see, only because I actively sought them out. My internet cookies are designed to show me what they know I already like or what they think I'll like, aka more white stuff. So I have to show the algorithms I want to see it all and that I want and need to see more black faces and businesses and art on my feed. If I'm not even seeing and engaging with black content, how can I amplify or support it? We need to disengage from big box capitalism as much as possible. This one is so hard for me. I'm a creature of convenience and habit. I'm American after all, but capitalism tricks us into turning our backs on each other and segregates us without even thinking a second thought. I'm not saying don't go to Target and get your toilet paper, but it's your sister's birthday. I'm positive there's a black artist who you can buy a gorgeous or silly card from on Etsy instead of buying that Hallmark one next to the TP. Yeah, it's an extra step, but it's one that the establishment counts on us not taking. Black-owned businesses look out for their communities through jobs, opportunities, and services. Corporations don't. 
If we want to strengthen our communities, we have to vote with our dollar and invest in them, not the corporations. And lastly, I just want to talk about self-segregation really quick. I do this so often, and we're programmed to really... I think I'm lucky to have had more exposure growing up and in college to BIPOC voices and art than a lot of my white friends and peers, but I notice it creeping into my pop culture consumption specifically. Why did I watch Girls years ago, ick, I know, and not start Insecure until recently? Same channel, both comedic half-hour femme content. It's snap reaction, I think. I get this ridiculous notion that I won't understand certain art or media because it's not for me. But how can I ever truly support the BIPOC creators who produce that art and media if I don't consume and enjoy what they create? We as white people have to fight these little immediate thoughts, as my therapist calls them. The I won't get it and the it's not for me's that cut us off from learning and growing and uniting. There are many ways to be an accomplice to the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, I do think it is important to shift into the accomplice mindset as opposed to just an ally. uh, Because really, that is what the commitment is. Like, you are committing to fighting with them, for them. Um, And a couple things that you can do to start being an accomplice to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Some of the basics are there are tons of petitions online. You can literally Google Black Lives Matter petitions or defund the police petitions um, and results will come up and you can sign those petitions for free. It's easy. Get your name on there. Get your voices heard. Um, you can email and call representatives in your city and demand justice. If you just Google whatever state or city you're in, you know, California police brutality, uh, Monterey Bay police brutality, and you can, you know, single accounts of police brutality will come up and you can call those representatives and demand justice, um, for those crimes. Uh, that's a really, you know, it, all it takes is your time. That's really easy. Uh, obviously, you can donate your cold hard cash um, to organizations and institutions that are committed um, to improving black lives, black communities, black businesses, black education. Um, there's a lot of them out there. A few off the top of my head are the Okra Project straight, you know, just the Black Lives Matter movements, um, justice for Brianna. I mean, there's tons, there's tons. Um, donating your money is a huge step. Um, another very important thing that white people must adopt into their daily lives is calling out other white people. If it's your mom, your grandpa, your coworker, just some random person on the sidewalk. It is inexcusable to be spouting dangerous, harmful, racist, ignorant things. It simply is. People need to be educated in order to understand the gravity of the situation. And, you know, some ignorance is willful, but at the end of the day, 
calling them on what they're saying and what they're doing is going to have the biggest effect on your daily lives and your inner circles. Um, calling people out when they're being racist is going to be a very powerful habit to get into. Um, and it, you know, it comes with some strategy. You have to be educational. You can't shame them because they won't hear the facts. Um, just to wrap it up real quick, reallocate your money to black businesses. Stop giving your money to Amazon. Stop giving your money to Target. Find those black business alternatives to the products you want and reallocate your money. Um, yeah, diversify your inner circles. Educate the people closest to you. Be accountable for your own behavior. Um, white privilege is ignoring the issues. White privilege is being able to turn the other cheek and have brunch. Like, be aware of your privilege and own it and use it to empower the black communities. Period. My main steps to break down anti-blackness and white supremacy have been to boost and share information about organizations and individuals who are in need of donations. I continue to donate to individuals in particular, including those in my own community who are doing the groundwork of organizing. It is important to not only amplify the voices of black folk, queer, trans, femme, and the like, but also to call in other white people to do the work at both a personal and a systemic level to combat white supremacy. I've been taking part in direct action, such as speaking out against the white supremacy and microaggressions which harmed my peers at the CSULB Theater Arts Department. It is important to understand that this is a day-by-day -day action in which people must deconstruct their own anti-blackness. Even in advocate circles, which I consider myself to be a part of, there is still a need to actively challenge preconceived notions of race and community. This can be done by listening, reading, and learning. Breaking down one's own white fragility and becoming a better friend and accomplice is crucial. Some organizations that you can donate to would be the Okra Project, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Transgender Law Center, as well as SNAPCO and TGI Justice. The last two are doing important work for prison abolition. Um, some of the best ways I've been able to stay informed through this movement is through social media. You can find a ton of petitions on Twitter. If you're not currently following people who are retweeting these petitions, I suggest just typing in, quote, petition links, unquote, in the search bar on Twitter, and I guarantee you'll have a bunch to go through. Um, another great resource that I found is through Instagram. There's a page called in this together underscore LA and they post daily updates on petition links, donation links, dates and times for protests all around LA County and sometimes even Orange County. And in their bio, they have a master link that takes you to a page where you can click on different direct actions, whether it's a GoFundMe link or a direct link to email your representatives about defunding the police. Um, I'll also give you my Instagram. It's at Natalia Annette. I promise you, you'll find resources, new articles to read, or petitions to sign in my story as well. If you're feeling lost about ways to help or are unable to attend protests because of the pandemic, these are some really, really easy from your couch ways to help. 
Um, I hope everyone stays safe and informed because this movement is going to take a really long time. But um, we can do this. I'm in support of all Black lives. The trans community must be valued. They are an integral part of our history, and it's time everyone not only acknowledges the massive contributions many Black trans lives have made to propelling the world forward, but respects, loves, and protects their lives as well. I'm a non-Black POC, and one of the ways I've taken action has been by monitoring the silence and microaggressions within my own circles, and making sure I address those people as effectively as I can, as well as filtering out the people who insist on being willfully ignorant to reality. It's every ally's job to put their people in check when it comes to racism. The very least any of us can do is repost and share information we find, and there's news daily so there's no excuse. There's always something that can be done. If you can, donate, call state officials, send those emails, send those texts. Every action helps. I urge those listening to stay in it and keep amplifying the Black community through your feeds and your stories. By not maintaining awareness and reverting back to quote-unquote normalcy, we are allowing the countless voices in our country to go ignored, thus contributing to the continued oppression and racism that runs the U.S. Again, the very least we can do is repost and share information. I try to post lists of as many Black-owned businesses and authors that I can, and I've compiled a list of the lists I find on Instagram so I can begin ordering those books and watching those movies and buying from those businesses. And let me tell you, I've been sleeping on hella businesses. I love to eat. <laughs> I love food. And I now have a whole new set of restaurants with all different types of cuisines that I can start giving my money to. Um, through, you know, all of these resources that have emerged online and through friends, I've discovered authors, activists, artists of all mediums, nonprofits, cosmetic lines, apparel brands, and so many other resources that are black owned. And I'm hyped to start implementing all of these changes into my life because I needed new businesses and artists to support. I needed new books to read. I needed all of this knowledge that is literally at our fingertips now. And for whatever reason, so many of us just hadn't done that. Um, if you can't attend physical protests, please, please, please do keep supporting and investing in Black-owned businesses. Because you'd be surprised by how many beautiful, beautiful businesses exist within your local communities. Most of the concrete ways that I have been anti-racist in these past few weeks has to do with um, what is in my sphere of influence. I work as a director of music at a church in South Orange County, so I created a list of anti-racist things that we can do at my workplace, like hiring more BIPOC staff into decision-making positions, and I emailed that to my boss, and I followed up on it when he didn't respond fast enough. <laughs> Uh, I've also brought discussions up at staff meetings about the history of racism within the church, and it went better than I expected it would. During that discussion, it was decided that all depictions of white Eurocentric Jesus would be taken down and replaced with historically accurate brown Jesus, and everyone was on board. When I've been in meetings with little to no BIPOC representation, I've actually spoken that fact into the room so that we are all being continually reminded that we still have work to do and we need to invite BIPOC into spaces. 
In addition, in my own personal life, my sphere of influence over my own heart, I'm studying books like Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad so that I can recognize my role and my family's role in perpetuating this system that uses violence to subjugate Black people and Black voices. I've streamed Black art. I've supported Black-owned businesses like Sweet Red Peach Bakery in LA, which is the best thing in the whole world. <laughs> and I've read every article I can find about things I didn't understand before, like what the movement to defund the police is all about and why the prison system is modern-day slavery. All of these things are small anti-racist choices every day that add up to a more anti-racist life. It truly just starts with one choice. Right now, I follow the advice of Black leaders like Malcolm X and Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors, who have recommended that white people caucus with one another so that we can better facilitate solidarity with Black and Indigenous-led movements. It's a necessity for white folks to get together, gather our cousins, and own the process of repair and resistance. Groups that currently focus on this include White People for Black Lives, Showing Up for Racial Justice, Alliance of Whites Against Racism Everywhere, and more recently, Organizing White Men for Collective Liberation. Also, online caucus organizers Kelly Germain and Kelly Elizabeth hold online caucus spaces that are just incredible. These groups regularly post daily actions that white folks can take, and it's a welcome shift among white people whose communities don't typically do this. So let's gather our cousins, everybody. I will choose to disclose the fact that I am a white person and I'm living in the UK and that's where my experience is coming from today. I want to say that from the UK um, we have heard you in the US and seen you. We've seen you on the news. We've seen what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and more and how in protest you were met with violence and hate from the people who are supposed to serve you and protect you. The Black Lives Matter movement especially the one that's happening in 2020, has reignited my journey to become anti-racist. Um, and therefore I'm going to talk about a few of the resources that I'm looking at at the moment that could be similar or different to those that white allies are looking at um, in the US. Um, the first that I'm reading currently would be Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo-Lodge, um, a British author. Uh, if you haven't already, I would 100% get your hands on it or borrow it from somebody. It has very much educated me and it's from a very... Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, it has embarrassingly so educated me. The second book that I can refer to is called Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women White Feminists Forgot. Um, that's by Mickey Kendall. As a feminist myself... Um, I was determined to get hold of a book like this after I started this kind of journey again because I had been made aware of um, sectional feminism when I was at university and I really want to get my head around that and make sure that's something that I'm not taking part in. Um, the other resources that I've been looking at have, more, have been more difficult to pin down because a lot of them have been on social media. Uh, this my social media has been flooded with resources from people who are sharing them, which is fantastic. I talk particularly about a friend of mine, another white ally. Um, her Instagram is edcat19, if you'd like to check it out. She has a highlight called BLM, 
um, and she's been hoovering up resources this whole time that I've been able to read every day about how to be a better ally, about who to support, about where the petitions are at. Um, a source that she shared was Anti-Racism Resources for White People. It's a document and in there I found places that I could um, follow. So, um, sorry, I shouldn't say places, profiles that I could follow um, to, to have them pop up on a daily basis for me. And one of them was actually um, Muslim Girl on Instagram. So that's opened me to, to more issues outside of um, black lives, but people of colour. Um, the other speech that I've seen was by Tanehesi Coates, um, the author of Between the World and Me, um, a book he wrote to his son at the time, which was very, very moving. And they have been the majority of the resources that I've looked at. The last one that I'll mention is um, the play Small Island from the National Theatre. It's on YouTube, I believe at the moment, which was able to educate me a lot about the Windrush generation. So that is what, what's happening over here, hopefully, and um, we will continue to try and make that last as long as we can. And, you know, it's, it's a journey that's going to take a hell of a long time for us. It's systematic, and but it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is the fact that I hope that people in the UK and the US um, will also reach out to their black friends during this time. And I think that's something that we have to remember, particularly I'm talking again, once again, to white people that are trying to be anti-racist. Um, I would say that it's quite easy in some ways to project this movement outwards onto government, onto leaders, onto big companies, onto people that are outside of our circles, but actually we need to think about our friends and what experiences they've had and whether we showed up for them in the moment and speak to them about it and make sure they're okay and self-reflect really on what we can do better. Thanks to our, our friends who contributed their voices. Um, if there's anything else you want to know um, that you should be doing to help this issue, um, there'll be links to our resources and our details. And you can always follow our Instagram. Um, which is educated the educated actor, actor um, huh. in which we have other resources as well as other movies and um, videos and, and TV shows you should be watching um, that ask the hard questions because that's where we're at, sitting in the discomfort. Yeah, so we're going to keep discomfort. updating. We're going to keep updating all of that stuff and we want to be as as current as possible. So just keep a lookout because that stuff will be a like evolving thing. It's an important time, guys. It really is. And uh, just to add, we will be uh, uh, having a Black artist for our What's the Tea. We are officially stopping or postponing our um, journey with Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. We felt like this was a bit more important and we want to uplift Black voices. So our What's the Teas are going to sound a little different because there's going to be different folks on there talking about their careers, um, what they've experienced, really just anything. Um, but, you know, we want to make sure that as a podcast, we're also committing to providing more voices for Black folks. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. I can't wait for that. That's gonna Yeah, be I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be good, especially with, like, the, the few people that I know that have uh, gotten back to me and are really excited about it. Like, it's going to be really nice because you're getting a whole lot of different perspectives. Um, 
and it's it's uh, it's gonna, gonna be get a lot great. of education from the educated actor ladies and yeah. gentlemen it's hashtag black lives matter not all lives matter yeah. <laughs> that's a given yes that's a given exactly so and also if you say all lives matter you suck if you tell me all lives matter after i watch a video of a black man dying you permanently are an awful human being absolutely you can you suck are it. that black life canceled. was a life so you are deleted you're not canceled you're deleted you're so let's recognize that life that's Ugh. what this is about right now so anyway wow i'm very i'm like i don't even know how i feel right now like i feel like calm but like anxious in a good way if that makes sense just because of like what we're just like the, the what we're in right now and you know what like just being a part of history right and just yeah. watching it play in, in front of us and from this perspective like in our podcast and what we're doing and how you know we want to just I don't know you know help recognize support you know just show up you know so it's going to be really cool guys this is going to be a very it's going to be a very unique educated actor experience for the next couple of months and we would love your support and we'd love to support black lives and it's going to be it's going to be a great 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 time yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah is that it i mean you guys know the deal you guys know uh to go to the educated actor start looking at it you guys might will be you know we just told you what you're going to be seeing you know in the next couple of months please tune in on our sundays please listen mm -hmm. to us on thursdays thursday when does this one come out guys thursday. i'm like yeah. Thursday. Yeah. yeah like this thursday. yeah it comes out on thursday of the month of june, june. june. <laughs> we are in june we what are in month june. is it we what year is it anymore so we, you'll see us for the next episode of june we will you know whatever that is you know just keep thinking about ways you can print anti-racism in your life whether it's calling out folks or um you know just like uh critically thinking about the way this country sees black people watching you know those tv shows and movies that we were talking about and having those tough conversations with your family with yeah. black folks you know listening just to black folks just listen just and listen, not to yeah. not to feel like i oh i understand you but just you know i i see you and that sounds really hard and that's that's all you really need to do and to defund the police because nobody needs cops anymore that, that if only we had that kind of money to be like uh and nwa fuck the police right now oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah guys you guys know where we are email us just slide into our dms if you guys want to have conversation we are definitely here too we we want to be that outlet too to have these tough conversations i, I know all three of us have had that conversation in some shape or form so you know this what this time that's what this time is about and please like reach out for any kind of thing because you will get three different perspectives for sure from all three of us and like our experiences with this so reach out talk to us if you guys don't have anybody to talk to to get educated or whatnot we can either talk to you or point you in the direction of a resource whatever so yeah with send that. us your questions as always yeah. questions give us feedback rate and review yeah rate and review us rate and review bam cuz we deserve it yeah <laughs> and with that said we're going to get a little shut eye thanks for listening guys i'm Matt i'm caroline and i'm natalie and this has been tea time with the educated actor maybe bow, that should be the most it's funky it's bam bam, bam. bam. <laughs> Bruno Mars would be happy about it.
Oh yeah. my god. Can we ha- can we let that be the intro to the next one? Just for fun. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. <laughs> bye guys. Hey guys, it's Matt from the Educated Actor and during this time of change and important movement, I just want to encourage love. We wish you all a happy pride. Happy pride. Happy pride, y'all.